From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and today I have a lady who is very passionate about two topics that I'm really passionate about. The first is she is a success coach for women in tech. And those of you that know me will know I'm very passionate about making sure we address some of the gender balance in the world of work. So I'm really excited to hear her perspective on that particular topic. But without further ado, Tony Collis, welcome to the show. And I hear you're a bit of a techie yourself. I am indeed. Thank you so much for having me here. And yes, I am a techie. I'm an ex-supercomputing person by training. That's what I did before I became a full-time coach. So yes, tech is my passion. I believe it drives the entire human race, rightly or wrongly. <laughs> There's a debate maybe to be had about that why we can do this podcast, right? It's amazing. Yeah, taking myself and I am super passionate that we should have more women, actually more diversity in general. I just am fighting the battle for the 51% of the human race that's female. There are many other groups that are underrepresented in tech. And I believe the world is a better place when everybody has a seat at the table. So we're building tech for the benefit of the entire human race and the planet. Wow, what a great mission to have. I mean, a lot of us we talk about purpose of work and some of us say, well, you know what, I just want to, I don't know, help certain people do better in certain ways, but actually to be able to have that type of mission, which is more than just helping individuals, it's about helping whole groups of people, I think is amazing. So yeah, well done. <laughs> I can't help myself. I have to admit it's, it's been the cornerstone of like who I've been for, for such a long time. I can't imagine not being that way. I just... There's so much that I wish was different about this planet, right? Climate change, lack of resources for various groups. Right now we've got a cost of living crisis and a refugee crisis going on. And I I just know that if we all had a seat at the table, if we all were able to give our perspective equally and we actually all equally got heard, we would make better decisions as a species, right? It isn't just about us as individuals. Don't get me wrong. I want every woman out there to have the career that they deserve. I want every human to have the career they deserve. There's just more barriers for underrepresented groups because of the human condition. Another topic, maybe. Um, but actually, to me, it's, it doesn't stop there. It isn't just about us as the individual. It is about what that enables if we, if we equalize. People talk about the diversity dividend in business. If you have diverse teams the entire way up the, the corporate spectrum, companies make bigger money, better profits, better products, right? And for good reason, we diverse teams have better team IQ. That's as I said, I could talk about that stuff all day long. Oh, I love it. I, yeah, I'm a big fan of wisdom of crowds. How do we increase that creativity as an organization so we can innovate more? So mm. another topic very close to my heart, and we will definitely talk about that at some point on this episode, because I would love to go deeper on that. But before we do, Tony, so... It'd be great to hear your journey as to how you've ended up with this mission and this place that you're in now. So what was your journey? Where did you start? And uh, what have been some of your challenges along the way? I graduated from my first degree as a physicist and I was like, well, what can I do with physics other than 
study the stars, which sounds great and everything. I also realized very early on, I am not very good with experiments. <laughs> My husband doesn't let me use power tools, for example. <laughs> he just doesn't trust that I won't blow something up. The only tools I'm allowed to use are kitchen equipment because I love cooking. Um, I, whereas I am very much theoretically minded. I have background in mathematical physics as well. So very much computational stuff. And so I decided to continue my education and moved into studying DNA in the human body using physics. But the way I did it was with supercomputers. And that just blew my mind. I was like, oh my goodness me, I get paid to work on the fastest supercomputers in the world. And I get to discover things about the human body at the same time. And I get to use physics, which I kind of understand better than any other topic. I just thought this was the best thing ever. <laughs> I get to solve problems doing all this stuff. Isn't that just phenomenal? And it just lit me up from the inside. I, I was just blown away by what we can achieve. And I had a career for, for 10 years using supercomputing, helping scientists do more with supercomputers. I've worked on projects from designing the future of energy generation in nuclear fusion reactors, how we might generate energy using fusion, all the way to, I did a lot of work because of my PhD. I, over the years, I, I, I keep coming back to working on designing systems atom by atom, like what I did with my PhD, like looking at your DNA, looking at fragments of your DNA, understanding molecular docking, which was actually one of the things that helped design some of the COVID vaccines. I wasn't involved in that. It's after I left supercomputing, but it's one of the key technologies that was used to, to understand the COVID vaccines. Supercomputers were also used to understand the modeling of how COVID spread around the world as well, which is why we're in the position of an epidemic that hasn't wiped out 50% of the human, for which, you know, there's a lot still to be done, but supercomputers have helped us tremendously. So there's this real like passion inside me. We're like, oh my goodness me, look what technology could do. But throughout my journey, there was just a level of unease, which for the longest time I, I couldn't quite get to the bottom of. And it was Back in 2013, when I was talking to a colleague of mine, I was like, well, we just need to do something about the lack of women. I was aware the lack of women in supercomputing was a big problem. There were all these women in physics when I was a physicist, women in physics movements, there's women in tech more broadly, all of this. And nobody was looking at supercomputing. And I remember being in a conference room, 300 people talking about the hottest topic, which was exascale computing for anybody who knows what that is. It was the thing everybody was talking about. And I looked around the room. There were three women out of 300. Me, my boss, who happened to be on stage chairing the session, and one other woman. Women not interested? Like, what on earth is going on? And so I created an organization called Women in High Performance Computing, which I thought would just be a little UK thing. And within a year, we'd gone international. And it, was, it opened my eyes. I thought I was just doing something to get women, like help them figure out like how to navigate the world of supercomputing, all that sort of stuff. But what it told me as an individual is I hadn't realized that being the only woman in the room is exhausting. I've been the only woman in the room since I was 16 years old. But, and, and you're just, you just get used to it. And I thought, gosh, I feel different. It's different, right? <laughs> when I walk into a room full of women, they lifted me up in a different way. That, that is not to say there's a problem with man with men. I am married to a man in tech, right? But it, it does feel so different. What really brought that home to me is actually my husband, who is, I think he hates that I keep sharing this story. He is my biggest advocate. He, he loves the work that I do. 
And he he also, at that point, we were both working with supercomputing. We'd go to the same conferences a lot of the time. And I was running this event alongside the biggest supercomputing conference in the world. I was running this women in high performance computing event and he came to support me. And we'd both come from different pre, you know, different talks before that. And he arrived before me and he admitted to me afterwards, he walked into the room and he felt so uncomfortable. He walked out again until I turned up because in, in his entire career as a man in tech, he has never been in a room full of women. And I thought, gosh, that's how I feel every day. But I, I didn't know it until I knew what the alternative was. It is that sense of belonging, whether it's, it's your gender, whether it's your ethnicity, like whatever it is, we need people around us that make us feel like we belong. Uh, and, and to me, I hadn't quite realized how fundamental that was to who I was until I started doing that work. And then over the years, various things happened, but ultimately I'm here today because I realized I had a passion for coaching women. That was one of the things I was doing voluntarily alongside my day job because I was running women in high performance computing, helping women elevate their careers. And I realized like, as much as I love supercomputing, this was a way for me to have an even bigger impact on technology to support the human race. Because I work with women who are working on climate change solutions. I work with women who are making technology to say it, to solve the refugee crisis. I also, you know, I work with women at Google and Amazon and all these places, and I'm helping these women my own little way to rise up, to be executives, to help make better decisions for everybody and to help change it for those that follow women. Part of our duty, I think, as women, we've, we're in the position right now where more doors are open to us than ever before as women. You listen to the stories of our parents' generation, they're horrific for women. It's now our job if we have the resilience, not everybody does, and I support those who don't have that resilience. If we have the resilience to rise to the top, it's our job to now open the doors fully for those that follow up behind us and change the world for the better. Like it's, it's just time. <laughs> it truly is. Do you know, Tony, it's ironic you mentioned that about your other half, your husband walking into a room full of the opposite gender and feeling uncomfortable. I was running a training course yesterday for the NHS and out of about 50 people, 48 were women and there were two guys in the room. So there were three of us in the room. And you're right, it was pretty overwhelming for... It's very different, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel the need I had to walk out the room, but it was very intimidating at one point because yeah. I was thinking in my head, can I still say a lot of the jokes I normally do? Not that they're sexist jokes or anything, but like my sense of humor sometimes is a bit quirky and I'm thinking, <laughs> I better be careful what I say because yeah. I'll, I'll get beaten up. So I tried to be quite conscious about what I was saying and just the, my general approach. I mean, we had a great time. We had an absolutely amazing time. Had so many laughs during the day, but you're right. It could be intimidating for many men if they were in that situation. So I, I can't even, you know, begin to comprehend for a woman when you're constantly in a certain environment like that, you've got to do that day in, day out. I think the thing is, most of us have no idea until we experience the alternative and it's not I mean, we're all, we all get uncomfortable all day, every day. That's part of growth. It's, it's a good thing, but it is exhausting. And when we're uncomfortable, sometimes we make less good decisions and it just adds, adds to our background level of stress, which is, I think, one of the contributing factors to why 51% of women leave technology by the midpoint of their careers. 51%, which is, is 
terrible for the human race. It's terrible for the cost of education. It's just terrible all around, right? We're throwing our education away. But I think when every day is that exhausting, I think, I think it really does add up and we don't even consciously know why. We'll have one final little straw, like a, a bad employer or we don't like the lack of flexibility or something. It's just the final straw, but it's that addition of all these little pieces that add up to that really that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah. And what's really interesting is the younger generation now, like my daughter, I, I look at her and I see a lot of the young kids now. And I mean, for, for a woman in today's world, things are so different. But if I were to tell my daughter, hey, women only got the right to vote in the 60s or something, wasn't it? It was something ridiculous. And that's not even that long ago. That's like, well, 60 years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember just being a child growing up in the 80s. When we went out to dinner as a family, my mum had to wear a skirt or we wouldn't be allowed in the restaurant. I remember that. Like that's, I am not that old. It, it's just little stuff like that. It's not that long ago. The Equality Act was only made in 2010. Before that, it was legal to discriminate based on gender and getting pregnant. It was frowned upon, which is why the act was then brought in. I think Things have to be frowned upon before we make them illegal or legal, depending which way you're looking at it. It's kind of the nature of law, but it, it's really not that long ago that it was perfectly okay to fire a woman because she was pregnant or fire a woman because she had kids at home that the employer believed were taking the time. Just think about the pandemic. Some employers have been really supportive of, yes, I get that you're homeschooling and I get you're going to work hard anyway, and we're just going to figure this out. Other employers... At the beginning of the pandemic, there was an expectation of being accommodating, right? But I've seen many employers with the, what job I now do, so many employers in the UK have gone back to the old standard of, oh, your kid's off sick. I don't care that it's COVID. You get one day to sort it out and figure out how you're going to work. Because if the kid's at home and you're at home, you're not working as far as they're concerned. And it's just so black and white and not reality. And it is... If Let me just be blunt here. If it was men in that situation, we would not accept that because suddenly what proportion of, what proportion of the working male workforce has kids at home? Probably 30%. I'm making that up. I have no idea. But say it's 30%. You suddenly wouldn't be okay with 30% of your workforce being unavailable. You would, you would work around it. We'd figure it out. But because it's women and there's this whole history of, well, women do the childcare and you can't possibly do childcare plus work, which I, I do agree. There's a balance, right? You, your kid's throwing up all over you. You're not going to be typing on your computer. <laughs> do get that, right? But we wouldn't, we wouldn't treat our workforce the same way, I think, if, if it was men who were the primary caregivers. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember when I used to work for a, a big corporate uh, a few years ago and uh, one of the one of the managers there used to always say, "If you're working from home and you've got a child in the house, you have to have another person in the house. Like you're not allowed to work from home if you're the only adult at home and you have a young child." Yeah. And I get that. I get business is business, but there's sometimes a human element that that needs to be there as well. Like so for some people, that's really difficult. They can't have a child minder all day if they have young kids and usually kids are pretty good. They end up doing their own thing anyway, and they just need a little bit of supervision every now and again. But it was this mentality that you're not allowed. And I just think that then again, closes lots of options for lots of people. And that makes it really, really difficult. 
So Tony, yeah. one thing I was really intrigued to know about is obviously you're having some success with the community that you've set up, this movement that you talked about. So mm. I would love to know, could you share that journey of how you have now built that community? What are some of the stories of some of the people that are part of that community in terms of the the success that you've seen? Well, it's interesting because I've now actually done it twice. There's Women on High Performance Computing, which I started. And I, to be brutally honest, I was very young and naive when I did that. I did not know what I was biting off, so to speak. And I actually stepped down from running that two years ago now. But I've also... Um, because I now run a business, I've set up a leading women in tech community, which is much broader. It's women in tech who are interested in leadership or currently in leadership. And with much the same sort of mission in mind, again, it's about creating that community. And one of the things I see time and time again in, in both both groups, it was the same was, I think once you have women networking together, once they realize there there are other women doing what I do, there there are there's more, more opportunities for them. There's more networking. And we know that networking is one of the number one ways to get a job these days, right? It, and if you get a job, even if you don't take it, you can get uh, the opportunity to negotiate a pay rise or a promotion in your current role. So the, the networking piece is so incredibly important, as is the inspiration and role model piece. So many women I know have never had a female role model that they actually get right? Like that is doing technology, that is the next rung on the ladder rather than, you know, a famous techie. I mean, how many famous techies do you know who were women? Not that many. Most of them are not working anymore. We think of Ada Lovelace, you know, we think of Katherine Johnson. These are all people not working anymore. Ada Lovelace, obviously dead a long time. (laughs) There, There are very, very few and far between. Whereas, you know, you think about famous people, there's Jeff Bezos, there's, I'm running out of names right now, you know, Elon Musk. Yeah. Of course, I was was thinking Tesla, Tesla. Uh, There there were all those, but there were not very many famous women. And just simply putting you in a room full of people that are like you in some way, right? It's not, by the way, it isn't always about gender. It's just gender is a very obvious one for this group that they they never see a woman. But there are other ways we can resonate with people. That, That inspiration you get from thinking, she's like me, maybe I can get there. It suddenly puts a little bit of an extra kick up you. Like it it just says, oh, I can do this. It's hard. It's going to be hard. But rather than like, oh my God, there's no hope because I don't know anybody like me who does it, which is what our brain unconsciously, unconsciously does. It's suddenly like, well, she's doing it. Maybe I can too. And it is just that little fire you need. So surrounding these women with women like each other is really, really powerful. The other thing I see happening, which again is really accelerating, is sharing stories. Um, both the positive and the negative. I think a lot of women need a place to be heard. And I'm, I'm very careful. I don't want these spaces to just be somewhere to complain. I don't think that solves anything. I, I, and I don't think it's very positive either. I think we need more positivity around the women in tech movement. That's one of, one of the things I really try to create. But there is an element of like, this has happened. Who else has experienced this? How can I tackle this? We do have different challenges. When you're the only woman in the room, there is unconscious bias against you. By the way, I'm biased against women too. If you do an unconscious bias test, you are most likely, even if you're a woman, biased against women because society is indoctrinated us that way. (laughs) Because our entire exposure says tech plus men, not tech plus women or not science plus women. So it's normal for unconscious bias. It isn't acceptable, but it is normal, right? There's there's some work to be done there. We shouldn't accept it ever. Um, 
But so just, we do have different challenges, like how to navigate that, how to navigate the glass ceiling, which is very, very real. And we have those conversations and that really can accelerate a lot, a lot of careers. I mean, I've worked with women who've got all the way up to being a C-level executive. One story I see consistently is the support and community that they have around them. They do have other women in their community lifting them up. And I think lifting each other up is so incredibly important. That support network, I think that's invaluable, isn't it? When you have others around you that can empathize with you because they're having the same sort of experiences versus someone who has no idea. And uh, it's probably not such a relevant point, but when I was growing up being Indian, even though I was born here in the UK, I used to look on TV and there, there weren't many people that looked like me. And I used to be looking for that role model and there weren't many of those around for me at the time. And then there was this phase, I would say, probably in the in the 90s where Indians started appearing on TV, but they were all comedians or they were always the butt of jokes. And again, it, it really wasn't very positive. And it's only now, when I look now, it's a whole different world. Like me and my wife laughed sometimes when we're watching the news and we're like, how many Indian people do you see presenting the news? They're literally like loads now. It's a positive thing. But we just laugh at the fact that when we were young, there was like nobody there and how things have changed and the media things are changing. So it does make a massive difference. I do feel much more connected now than I did as I was growing up. So I, I can see when you talk about diversity, uh, whether that's gender or race or anything else, when you're the minority, it's not a nice place. It's not a nice experience. 